Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane, episode 109 on deck for you. Today, we have Dawson Cram on the show with us. Really great conversation coming up. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Didn't know a ton about him going in, but I learned a lot coming out. A very rich racing heritage in the Cram family. Plus, we'll chat about Coda. That was kind of wild, wasn't it? Wild, wet, and wonderful. We'll break that down and touch on the longest race of the season we have coming up this weekend in the Coke 600 at Charlotte. But before that, let's go to Papa Siegel with this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 109. Last week, I looked back on number eight since I didn't have a chance to do so the first time around. Today, we doubled down on that and test the old saying of out of sight, out of mind. Honorable mentions first. The 09 car actually has a noteworthy win to make note of. In 2009, Brad Keselowski won at Talladega for car owner James Finch. The win included a last lap contretemps with Carl Edwards that sent cousin Carl airborne and ignited a fierce and dangerous blood feud between the two that we've discussed previously. But enough about Brad and Carl, neither of whom are on my list of favorites. When I think of number nine, I think of awesome Beal from Dawsonville. But we've already paid respect to Bill Elliott during our discussion of number 94, I think. So today, we dig a little deeper. Awesome Bill has the most starts, 446, and wins, 38, in the nine. But the man who ranks second in both of those categories had 247 starts and 11 wins with the number. Care to take a guess? Do you recall the name Casey Kane? The Enumclaw Washington native, you like that one, Duve? was the 2004 Cup Rookie of the Year and skyrocketed to national popularity not only due to his considerable talent behind the wheel, but also as a result of his boyish good looks and a plethora, boom goes the dynamite dove, of very successful marketing campaigns. Remember those Allstate insurance commercials with the ladies chasing after him shouting, Casey King, Casey King. He won some pretty big races, the Coke 600 three times, the All-Star race, a Gatorade duel at Daytona, and the Brickyard 400. Casey Kane had a 15-year NASCAR Cup career that spanned 529 races in all before he was forced to step away due to health issues. In 2017, he began to experience an increased heart rate, nausea, and vomiting, oh my, while racing. The issues bled over into 2018, including a Darlington race where he nearly lost his vision mid-race. Yikes. I'm not aware that a definitive diagnosis has ever been released, but it's clear Kane's been feeling better since walking away. He's entered some short track events and even indicated during an interview with Jamie Little, in 2020 that he'd been open to a comeback. We'll see, maybe some one-off rides, but a full-time seat, I'm guessing not. That's all for this week. Back to you, my moving boy. Thank you, Dad. 109. We are carving through these numbers here. and Now we're going to be on to double digits, I guess you can say, besides the one in front of them. So we'll have some more options to choose from there. So I know Dad will be happy about that. Let's start this episode off, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned <laughs> Echo Park Texas Grand Prix from Coda in the rain. By the way, do you say Grand Prix, Grand Prix, Grand Prix, Grand Prix? What do you say? Let me know. 
leave a rating and a review and, and tell me your pronunciation phonetically. Anyways, I digress. Um, full disclosure here. I was not able to watch the race, any races this weekend live. I did watch extensive highlights after, and I followed along as much as I could with all three races on social media. So I think I'm well-versed enough to hold a conversation about it. I hope you think I am as well. So let's talk about the cup race because that was the headliner of the weekend. Rain was in the forecast pretty much all weekend going in. Uh, Saturday's Xfinity race is actually the only race of the weekend where there was not rain during the race. They started on rain tires and then they transferred to slicks later on. But the cup race, it was wet. The truck race was wet as well. We'll talk about Sunday for now. Chase Elliott's the one who wins the race, and you guys know that by now, clearly. And as I've said, like, you go into this race and you say Chase Elliott's the favorite. It's a road course. So it's not surprising that he wins the race. But it is surprising how he got there because of what happened and transpired in the time that was happening in this race at Austin. Okay? Chase Elliott goes in as the favorite. We knew that. And when you say, okay, Chase Elliott wins the inaugural race at Coda, that's not surprising. But it is surprising when you look at the entirety of the race and what went into the race in general. All the things that happened throughout the strategy, the rain, the wrecks. Let's touch on a little bit of all of it, okay? So everybody starts off on the on wet tires since NASCAR officially declares the track damp, which it was. And then a couple portions of the race, I think midway through stage two, and then obviously in stage three with about 14 laps to go, it was absolutely monsooning. I'm talking standing water on the track, no visibility at all, not a foot in front of you because the spray that these cars made with the with the treaded Goodyear wet weather tires, which I had parenthetically, worked really, really well. Uh, you just couldn't see anything. There's that flashing red blinking light in the back windshields of the cars. Nobody could see them. Uh, the highlight reels of the race, you saw Cole Custer absolutely plow into Martin Truex Jr. on the fast backstretch. He couldn't see nothing. Bubba Wallace did the same to Kevin Harvick. They both wreck. Uh, we didn't see a good angle of that specific wreck because the cameras couldn't pick up anything. It was so hard to see. Uh, Kurt Busch did a little dandelion dancing through the gravel and the dirt and then back onto the racetrack. That was insane. Monster Energy put that in a commercial. There was just a ton of crazy things that we have never seen the Cup Series drivers and teams go through and do, especially in the rain. It was nuts. But NASCAR had to call the race because it was just too unsafe. I mean, you saw the Truex and the Custer wreck. Thankfully, everybody was okay, but that 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 was scary, right? So you had to do something. And speaking of doing something, Chase Elliott and the nine team did something strategy-wise to put themselves up there to capitalize if NASCAR decided to call the race which they did. And it's not NASCAR saying, oh, our golden boy's leading. We should call the race. No, the conditions were too unsafe. They had to stop the race. I know a couple of drivers said, hey, maybe we should have kept going. Maybe we shouldn't have. That's neither here nor there. Let's hear from the winner himself, Chase Elliott, his first rain-shortened Cup Series victory, but yet another win on a road course, 800 win for Chevrolet, and Rick Hendricks' record-tying win as a Cup Series owner. Huge win on multiple fronts. Win number 800 for Chevrolet. Um, you know, they're a, a great partner to me personally. Have played a massive role in the, in the success of Hendrick Motorsports, uh, past and present, and a great group to work with. So super proud of them. Um, obviously, there's a lot of guys, a lot more guys than me that have uh, contributed to that banner, but really proud and, and honored to be able to hold that up today. And then to tie Richard Petty Motorsports, obviously, is a is a big one. Uh, the boss has been been on us heavy about about that record, and he he wants that record. Uh, so super glad that uh, we could we could help um, help with that today. And then you know, as you mentioned, uh, the tie, uh, and then auctioning the door from our car today off to go and benefit Victory Junction Gang. Um, obviously, is a is a well known charity, and and what Richard has done there. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I, I remember that charity as a kid, um, and he's changed a lot of lives. So hopefully we can help that cause as well. Uh, and a, a super, a really special piece of our car today. This is a big win. So um, looking forward to helping any way we can. Also, we got to give a call to Rick Hendrick. I mean, 800 wins for Chevrolet. That is pretty impressive. But I think becoming 
at least tying the record with Penny Enterprises, of the winningest team owner in NASCAR history. That is nothing short of absurd. Congratulations, Mr. H. More to come this year and way more where that came from, but what an accomplishment. You know, Richard Petty and the organization have been, the, you know, the backbone of the sport, and Richard has done so much, and it's quite an honor to even be in the same, uh, you know, series with him and uh, never thought we'd get here. Uh, but real proud of the guys. They worked really hard. Um, that's been something we've had in our sights. Really happy for Chevrolet with 800 wins. And uh, it's just been a great day. It's been a great ride. The season's been so good to us. Uh, you know, everybody's won a race now. And uh, we got all four locked in to the playoffs. And, uh, man, I don't know. It's just it would sure be nice to win another one in Charlotte. That would be the place. So as I mentioned, this was a bit of a crazy race. I, I, I enjoyed the racing from what I saw, even in the wet. I think the track itself lent itself to stock cars surprisingly well. Usually when you see open wheel circuits that are purpose built for Formula One or IndyCar, like Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, stock cars don't take to it as well. But I was pleasantly surprised with how they were racing on the track. So I really hope they go back next year and I hope it's dry weather and I hope I'll be there to see it. Kyle Busch put a whooping on him in the Xfinity Series race, and if the caution did not come out to end the race on Sunday, he probably would have been in the catbird seat to win that race on Sunday as well. But nothing new for KB, win number 98 in his Xfinity Series career. Put a big old butt whooping on him. Um, I think we had a really good piece just overall. Um, you know, talking with Almondinger kind of felt like, um, you know, drive off was probably our biggest thing that we excelled at today. Just being able to keep the rear tires on the car longer, um, being able to get the gas pedal down to make it straightaways longer instead of sitting there modulating the gas and, and kind of playing with it and wasting time to getting it down. Um, that was our biggest thing. Um, you know, I couldn't really tell to the, to Almondinger behind me. He was the closest that could keep up with me for about two laps, but I was always in front of him when we were close to each other. So I didn't, uh, I didn't really see how well he was through the yeses or, um, you know, through the, the slow section, the stadium section over there to see if that's, if he can make ground on me there or keep up with me there or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's probably about, about it. Also a butt whooping put on by Todd Gillen, former KBM driver in the truck series. Now with Front Row Motorsports partnership with David Gillen racing, of course, his second career truck series win first since a couple years back at Martinsville in a KBM truck. And he was absolutely wheeling it in that 38 truck. He was quick as quick could be. Kaz Grala tried to catch him at the end, but he was just way, way too far back. Had a really good couple lap battle with Tyler Ankrum for the race win. And they also raced in the rain, but it was not a monsoon. The track was wet pretty much the entire race, and it was drizzling, misting of sorts. That was probably the best race of the weekend, and Todd Gillen takes home the checkers. Definitely. I'd say from the drop of the green flag, I was really, really aggressive um, on braking. Uh, just as soon as I'd get to somebody, you, you really can't mess around in these trucks. Um, the next guy will be right on your back bumper pretty quickly. So um, if you got the truck to do it, I think you got to just be aggressive. And um, I was definitely aggressive, probably made you know one or two people mad, but uh, you definitely just got to get by people when you can. Good weekend of racing at Coda. Hope everybody enjoyed the action. As I said, hopefully next year they A, go back, B, get good weather, and C, more people, including myself, selfishly, will be there to witness it. Interview time. Let's throw it over to my chat with Dawson Cram, who is the driver of the 41 truck in the Camping World Truck Series this year. Talked about a lot of different things this past weekend at Coda for him. Unfortunately, missed the show, but he details why and how they were so close despite not having second gear, which is nuts. You, you know Marcus Limonis. He has done a ton for the series, the truck series, right? I don't think he's done more for anybody besides Dawson Cram because Good Sam, Camping World, Overton's, they're on his truck every single week, and he details how that partnership came about and why it means so much to him. Plus, we dive into the start of his racing career in something called Mini Dwarfs. I had never heard of those, so he detailed those. And we just learn a little bit more about the driver and the person that is Dawson Cram. Because I don't think you know a whole lot about him. I sure didn't, but I enjoyed getting to know more about him. Here's my chat with driver the 41 in the truck series, 
Mr. Dawson Cram. Pleasure to have on the show this week, Dawson Cram, driver of the 41 in the Camping World Truck Series. Camping World is important, and we will get to that later on in our chat, but good to talk with you, Dawson. I have never had the chance to chat with you, especially during COVID, obviously not being at the track as much, but we've seen you around the Truck Series garage for a good while now. How are things going at this point in the season? About, I don't know, 10 or so races into the truck schedule, things going well for you guys and your team? Well, we've had some momentum and we've had a lot of ups and downs as racing goes. Um, so we had a lot of momentum at Darlington. I felt I felt like we were going to have a top 10 run and then we ended up getting in one of the that big wreck up on the front stretch. And then last yeah. weekend at Coda, we had a really good run going and then we lost them. Um, we lost second year at a track that you run second year 70% <laughs> of the time. So that, right. that made it tough, but I feel like we're doing everything we need to do to execute and get the most out of everything we have. Um, we're building two brand new trucks right now. We're bringing one this weekend to Charlotte. So we're just doing everything we know how to do. That's the way to do it. Let's talk about Coda for a second. It was wet. It was wild. Uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, you guys lost second gear. You didn't make the show, but you still had a lot of experience racing out in the wet weather conditions with the wet weather tires. Was the defogger and the windshield wiper, was that all working for you? Because I know for a lot of different teams, especially smaller truck teams, that stuff was kind of iffy. So um, we ran in the rain earlier this year at um, Daytona. That's right. So that's we, had right. The same, we had the same defrogger and windshield wiper, and we had windshield wiper problems at Daytona. Ah. So we ended up getting all brand new stuff for Coda, so everything worked awesome during the rain this time that's at good. Coda. That's good. So you didn't get wet in the cockpit or anything? I did. I did get a little bit wet, oh, really? but it's, it's a little bit better. You know, I've ran legend cars in the rain and those usually get soaked. So yeah. the stock car is a little bit better. Yeah. I hear you on that. Just real quick to, to talk about code a little bit more. I mean, I think you, you guys missed the show by only a couple or a few tenths. Um, yeah. It's happened to you guys before. I mean, you know, this is not your first time DNQing, being a small team, uh, trying to work things out here. Just what is, what is the feeling when that happens? I mean, it's got to be a gut punch and gut wrenching. You're obviously not going into the race weekend expecting to miss the show. So when it does happen and you see that your name is below the cut line, it's got to be pretty gut wrenching. I, I imagine. Yeah. There's, um, there's a little bit of anxiousness to it when you're, when you know, you're in that position, you know, I've been in it before where, you know, we just need to be better as a team and an organization, but this weekend yeah. was a completely new experience because it was something completely out of our control you know we lost second gear on the warm-up lap and you know from then on it was just you know do everything you can and we barely missed it which i mean to go to a track that you run second gear that much and right. lose it and then almost make the show and still out qualify i think it was 11 or 12 trucks is pretty impressive in my opinion but you know it's it's definitely um brings you down when you miss a show like that and it it's hard to bounce back from financially because you get no money in once that happens. But, um, mm -hmm. you just gotta do everything you can, you know, it's not going to stop us from going the next time and trying again. So obviously we mentioned you're in the camping world truck series. That's important because you had good Sam on the truck at Coda. You've had camping yep. world on it with those beautiful colors. You've had Overton's on it this year as well. Marcus Limonis, as we know, Dawson, right? I mean, he's doing a ton for the series in terms of brand awareness pitching spots or giving money to smaller teams for sponsorship on their trucks. There's been a lot of chatter about whether that's, you know, doing certain things to the sponsorship value of the series. But I feel like you are his personal billboard. Like every <laughs> single weekend you have a Marcus Lemonis company product, what have you on your guys's truck, on your fire suit, wearing the hats, everything like that. How did this partnership between you two guys specifically come about because we know he's done it for a lot of truck drivers in the field and also Daniel Suarez and cup. Right. But he's on your truck every single week. It seems like. So how did that partnership come about and why is it so strong still now that it's still going every single week? So about two nights before the hauler had to leave for Vegas, the mm -hmm. second or the third race of the season. Yeah. That's when it Marcus first started put out a tweet that said, um, are there any unsponsored trucks this weekend? And me and my crew chief, um, Brian Kozlowski jumped on it and we were like, well, us, you know, raise our hands. It's us. So 
you know, that was a bit hectic. You know, we ordered a wrap. We stayed up all night, wrapped it, left at, it was like, the hauler left at like one in the morning, the night it was supposed to leave at eight. Man. So, yep. So they, you know, had to work overtime getting out, out there to Vegas. Then, um, so we ran Vegas. It went well. That was the uh, blue and yellow camping world truck. Yep. And you then, were one of like 15 trucks in the field. Yep. 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 That was that race. Did your spotter have a tough time spotting you? So he's been good about it. He, so at Coda, I didn't have my normal spotter. He's Corey Himes spotter too, and he's mainly subjected to him. So at Coda, we had a different spotter, which there's three of them. But they said that it was, there wasn't even as many good same trucks as there were camping world trucks, but they said that they had a really tough time. Of course, at Coda, you know, the cars are four miles away. Yeah, exactly. So I spotted the Xfinity race and we had a purple car and it was really hard for me to see it too. Hmm. But um, the spotter had a hard time at Vegas, the first one, but I think he learned. And then at um, Atlanta where everybody had the light blue overtone trucks, we put bright orange around the windshield. So that Smart. helped him out. Yep. And then on the good Sam trucks, we have a red camera pod on the roof compared to others who normally have like a black or white one. So that yeah. makes it a little bit easier to see little differentiators that, that works yeah. out well. So with Marcus, right, you guys yeah. have this amazing symbiotic relationship. What somebody from the outside may say, okay, he's sponsoring the series. That's great. He sponsored a couple trucks at Vegas. That's great. Why is he taking the time to put his hard earned cash into these smaller teams that realistically have little to no chance of winning the race a top 15 or a top 10 is an insanely good day for you guys why is he putting the money into these smaller teams like you guys at cram racing enterprises i'm sure you and marcus and i'm sure your family have had conversations with him about this so what do you think it is about you as a driver and your guys team in general that marcus has appealed to so we haven't had many conversations but one that comes to mind is you know i kind of reached out and was like you know this is my dream this is my passion i'll do anything to get an opportunity and i think he likes that i like think he likes to see that somebody is willing to work for it for sure. and he was just on with dave moody and he was saying that it's supposed to be a safety net because this is his series he wants it to you know stay healthy and he loves seeing the you know 40 plus truck fields i mean that's great that's that's what the sport needs Right. You know, we've been lacking that for a couple of years now, and now we're finally back. There's competitive trucks. It's a great time to be involved in the sport. I think he's trying to, you know, show everybody, look, I believe in the sport. Look at what it's done for me, you know, over the past, I don't know how long he's been in the series. And <laughs> in NASCAR, I'd say 10, 15 years, yeah, maybe as long time. as I've been alive. <laughs> but um, look what it's grown him to, and he's trying to show people, you know, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I believe in. And, you know, he's getting a lot of TV time too. And a lot of publicity through this oh, whole yeah. deal, you know, because there could be, you know, Sam Mayer, or Grant M finger that runs top five. And then you could have somebody else that's running top 10, top 20 and 30th, but right. No matter what, you know, if you have 10 trucks, you're probably going to get a lot of TV time, you know, Two of them could wreck. You know, if you have 10 trucks, one of them's probably going to wreck. And then you get, you know, three minutes of your own time. But the reason I think he stayed with us so much is just, you know, I'm straight up with him. I say, this is what we're doing and this is how you're helping us. And I think he likes that. And I'm sure another reason why he likes being with you guys is because you guys do it the right way. And that's not to say Sheldon Creed did it the wrong way, but obviously we saw what happened on social media, right? It was this whole thing. I kind of was in the middle of it because I like tweeted the screenshot. It was wild. Mm. But um, I don't want to get you in trouble or anything, but like when you saw uh, an interaction like that and Sheldon basically saying, you know, you're lowballing us with your offer, but you have other teams in the series. And even Sheldon did it before with the two team at GMS that would gladly take that 15 grand. You guys will gladly take 15, 10, 5 grand, anything, any day of the week, right? So when you see something like that, you have a different perspective because you understand what any lump sum of money, whether it's 5K, 10K, 15K, any amount of money does for a small team like your guys is because your organization doesn't have luxuries of 
going to the simulator, having training seven days a week, you know, having all these drivers development programs. You guys do it differently, not necessarily on a shoestring budget, but any additional money that comes in, especially in the form of sponsorship, to look more professional, to present to other sponsors, that's got to be invaluable for you as a driver and also as a team. So I don't know that there is a right or wrong way to look at it. You know, when I mm -hmm. first saw it, I was like, I really don't like, you know, what he's trying to say. And, you know, there's a couple podcasts that kind of, you know, went into bashfulness on Marcus. But, you know, for me, it's a huge saving grace, but I can see it from both sides as yeah. funny enough as that is, you know, Sheldon was in my understanding, Sheldon was trying to say, you know, my organization is worth this much, but he never, you know, wrote down a price number. And I don't know what him and Marcus talked about privately, mm -hmm. you know, which Marcus did come out and say, you know, I'm totally okay with drivers coming back and saying, this is what I'm worth. But at the end of the day, if he's winning with a Marcus Lamonis paint scheme, there are bonuses. So there's a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat and yeah. look at it. So it's hard to say from my perspective, because I only have my perspective. I don't know what it's like to be at GMS, you know, in a top tier ride. Right. I do know that it, what they are spending and what their budget is, is much, much greater than mine. Oh, yeah. But for <laughs> me, I'm just trying to get there. I'm trying to get experience and mm -hmm. for a company like Camping World or Good Sam or Overtons to come in and be on my truck is a, it's a blessing and it's, you know, what's keeping me going and my team going, but it's just hard to say because I've never been in that position. Yeah. I can kind of understand where he, what he was trying to say that, you know, my sponsorship value is worth this. Yeah. I hear you on that, but everything you said is correct. And I, I want to get your perspective on it because you have a different one than most of the people that were weighing in on that specific topic. Yeah. So I thank you for that. You mentioned JD Motorsports. You've done some spotting for them this past weekend at Coda. I think you worked yeah. as a mechanic for them last yeah. year. You're all, I, I've seen you wearing a JD hat. So I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second. Hold on. He's in the 41 truck with his own team, right? Family owned. And he doesn't drive for JD, but he's working for them. So how does yeah. this relationship work? What do you do for JD Motorsports? So I'm, you know, general mechanic at the track, I helped them out. And um, so how it all started was the crew chief on the four car, his name is Brian Berry, and mm -hmm. he crew chief two of my truck starts. So me and him became friends, he wants to do anything to help me. And when COVID started back up, or when COVID initially started in the NASCAR community picked up and went back to the racetrack, he said, Hey, I think it'd be, you know, valuable if you came to the racetrack, you know, what else are you going to do? or in the middle right. of town. So I said, yeah, that makes sense. And I would love to get back to the racetrack. So I went with the six car with BJ McLeod to, I think it was 15 races last year. And last year was a little bit different than this year because there's, you know, a very limited amount of people on BJ's car. So I sat on top of the box with the crew chief playing Carroll and kind of assisted him mainly, but mainly a general mechanic. Now this year with the four car, they said that they needed more extra help. And I would love to, you know, be at the racetrack, get my name out there. And you never know if somebody were to not pass COVID check or get sick or something, God forbid. And I'm there with my driver's stuff and I can hop in a car. Yeah. So that's, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is I'm getting, you know, to meet valuable people that are in the Xfinity garage that most of the truck guys do not get to meet because we're, you know, we're on our own niche. We're in the truck garage and they're in the Xfinity garage. Once you can get into the Xfinity garage, you mm -hmm. can open up your network and your network is your net worth. So that's yeah. the general idea of it. And working with Landon Castle and BJ McLeod, they're incredible drivers and their knowledge is incredible. And listening to them for, you know, three hours or however long the Xfinity races is, you know, three hours of school learning how they give feedback, how their race went, how they overcome their challenges and makes me a better driver. I feel that's a really great point. I didn't think about that. The first thing that came to mind was at JD Ryan Vargas is there and I'm sure that you work with him a good amount. And you know, he's one of those guys like you scratch and clawed his way to get to the opportunity and where he is now. And 
even last year when he was racing part-time for them, he was still, you know, checking tire pressures and holding the pit sign and helping on pit stops. You do similar things, right? You're racing in the truck series, when and where you can. And when you're not, you're getting your name out there, being seen at the racetrack, because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind, right? And you're doing things behind the scenes. Now, obviously, you want to be a race car driver in the Xfinity series, potentially get the cup, I'm sure. But doing those little things behind the scenes with the people that matter, right? Because they could potentially help you get to where you want to go. That's really important as well. And even drivers like BJ and Landon, who have been at this game for a long, long time, they appreciate that type of stuff. And they see that you are grinding and you are working. And oh, by the way, BJ's got a team as well. So he knows that you know what you're doing underneath the race car as well as behind the wheel. So it seems like it's a it's a good thing for everybody involved. You as a driver, learning and also, you know, absorbing information on the radio and also as a driver, making more relationships and connections, right? Yep. And I will say Ryan Vargas is a great kid. He's a great guy. Me and him, um, we're both secondary spotters at Coda and we stood right next to each other up on the platform. Pretty cool. You know, he's, you know, he works hard and he impresses me on the, on the sponsorship deals he can pull off. He's very smart and he went through that NASCAR Next program, and I mm-hmm. believe that helped him a ton. You know, he's a lot better at it than I have been in the past. And, you know, great connection, great kid. I'd love to see him in a car. He works yeah. hard. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not a lot of people can say they brought TikTok to NASCAR, but or Alvin yeah, Kamara or Best Buy, you know? Yeah, it's just it is. It is. Well, let's talk a little bit about your career in general, Dawson, because I was doing some research on you, and – I have a lot of questions. Okay. Uh, so we started off, I believe, at age five in Mini Dwarfs. Do I have that yep. right? Mini Dwarfs in Southern California. What the hell's a Mini Dwarf? <laughs> so <laughs> that's question and, number one. Yeah. So it looks like a tiny legend car without fenders, but it's you know a little Briggs and Strap motor on the back. It's I think that they were five to ten horsepower, not much. I'm gonna look and, up a picture right now as you're describing it. Okay. Yep. So mine was a sedan and their full roll cage. They had two window nets and he oh, got man. in and out through the roof. Motor was in the back and it had front suspension only. So they were funny because I went after that, I drove a Bandolero, which only had rear suspension instead right. of front suspension. These things but, look cool. Yeah, they're cool looking little They cars. look like a hybrid of like a modif- like a dirt modified and like a Formula One car almost. Yep. So a dwarf car is pretty cool too, which is, it's pretty similar to a legend car, just for, uh, basically no restrictions. Yeah. And I'm sure those are for kids because you're five years old, right? So I'm <laughs> sure that mini dwarfs is essentially yep. what the name is. It's for little, little kids. Yep. So the dwarf car, you could run at 12, I believe, gotcha. but I had already moved over to the East coast, but I drove yeah. similar stuff to a dwarf car, you know, a dirt legend car and stuff is very, very, very close. So we said, right, age five. I mean, I don't remember yep. what I was doing. Uh, hopefully I was walking at that point and talking. I mean, driving a race car at that young. The crazy thing is, as we know, like that's kind of par for the course. I mean, you see yep. a lot of drivers that are in Cup, Xfinity and trucks now, and even just F1 and IndyCar. Drivers start really young. Even if you start when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, that's late by industry yep. standards. So I assume that this was always what you kind of had your eye on and what you wanted to do, because I know your family's been in it for a long time, but starting at age five, was, was there ever really a question of getting behind the wheel of a race car? It was a matter of when, not if pretty much. Yeah. So it wasn't my decision. I don't believe it was my dad's, you know, let's give him something to do. And (laughs) they put me in a race car. So my home track is Verona speedway in Southern California. Hmm. And funny enough, that's, I believe Shelton, and creed's home track too How about that yeah so that's funny that you know it's just some little dusty desert track and yeah two NASCAR drivers came from there love that so you mentioned you moved up to bandoleros but before you did that you moved up across the country from i think you said yep. the san diego area right yep so solana beach it's right on the you know san diego area gotcha. right on the beach yeah gotcha so, sit, so Solano Beach, and then you moved to Mooresville. So you're packing yep. up your whole life. You're moving across the country to chase this crazy dream that is racing. And you're racing yep. Bandoleros, and you're winning, right? You're doing well. And at this point, you're yeah. probably thinking to yourself, 
okay, good decision. I'm still pretty young. I don't know what the hell I'm doing with my life, but I like this stuff. We're winning. Let's keep going. Yep. So from eight to 11 years old, we won, I think it was like five or six championships and, you know, a couple hundred race wins. We ran Mm -hmm. 50 plus races a year. And then when I was 10, I was running the Bando and then I started running on dirt too. And those winged outlaw carts, which they run out at, you know, Millbridge and they run them all over the country. I thought it was a very good series, but I won a championship in those two and a bunch of race wins. I had a factory ride in those. And from there we went to a dirt legend car and then asphalt legend cars at the same time and still ran the outlaw cart. So I was pretty, um, pretty well spread out over the map in my training, which I think that was a plan for my parents was, you know, let's run a dirt car where you have to run 10 different lanes throughout the race. Let's run an asphalt car that drives like a stock car and just get him as much experience as possible. So that definitely helped out because after winning a lot at all those different levels from dirt to asphalt, legend cars, super trucks, late models in the all American series. I know you did some racing in there throughout all of this, you know, you're still very young, but you're starting to understand the business and how it works a little bit more and see a potential trajectory of where you want to go. What's your mindset at this point? Is it, I just want to win races every single week. Is it, I want to position myself to move up. I want to gain sponsorship connections. Or was it, as you said, just like win, win, win. That's it. So we, me, myself, I was focused on winning because I didn't have the mental capacity to see past that you know because at this point you're still what like 12 13 yep. maybe 12 13 years old yeah. you know everything was the end of the world if it happened you know this <laughs> this championship you know running against you know 13 or 13 year olds you know 30 13 year olds yeah is the most important thing in my life so it my, was. Dad a, my dad had a much you know wider aspect of it you know mm-hmm. i believe when i was 12 or 13 was when we first got the Bojangle sponsor, which was a corporate sponsor and landing that was huge because that brought me, you know, from a legend car all the way to a truck. My first couple trucks starts, you know, mm-hmm. Bojangles was very, very good to me and they helped me a ton and I would not be where I am without them. Unfortunately, you know, the, we, um, not on the same terms, you know, they want to sponsor more races than a singular driver but hopefully we will see them back at some point. We've talked, you know, we're still all good friends over at Bojangles and talk, you know, about once a month and they're still supporters of mine, just not financially. Yeah. That's important to keep those relationships though, as we talked about. And by the way, I'm I'm in the DC area. We don't have a lot of Bojangles near us here, but God damn, those chicken Supremes are Supreme. I mean, my goodness. It is really good. Damn good. What's your go-to there? So four piece chicken supreme with mac mm-hmm. and cheese and a sweet tea. So Oof. It's, it's either a cheer wine or a sweet tea. Oh man, that sounds good. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. What's that? Uh, They have a special like tangy sauce, don't they? I don't know what it's called. Yeah, they have bow sauce. Bo- yep. Yeah, bro, bow sauce. Bow That's sauce. so good. Oh, so yep. good. All right, back on track. I'm starving. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned, you know, Bojangles helped you get up to the truck series and you made your truck series debut at Martinsville in 2018 with a team called Beaver Racing. I, I got to admit, I don't yep. really remember a whole lot about that, but I know that it was a memorable day for you. Any first start in the National Series, I'm sure, was memorable. Can you take me back to that day? Just what do you remember about it? So this is the so the first time I went to Marnsville was in a late model, and I was like, oh, my God, this place is huge. It's <laughs> like one of the tiniest places I've ever been in my life. Yeah. And um, I remember that day really well because I was going down the straightaways in the late. I was like, oh, my God, we're on the straightaway forever. (laughs) You're like, uh, this place might as well be Talladega. Yep. I thought (laughs) that place was ginormous. And then um, we made our first truck start and we got going under green. And about 20 laps into the race, it started snowing, just pouring snow. Oh, that was a snow race. Yeah. So that I was, was talking story. to I was talking to Corey Roper for, I think like two episodes ago on this very show and that was also his first truck start. Yep, so it started pouring snow and we red flagged it and the thing was I got out of the truck and I looked at my dad I was like, "Man, I I don't think I'm going to make it through this race. I was falling out of the seat." 
So what was happening was I was so nervous. I was holding onto the wheel so tight that it wore me out because I was holding onto the wheel so tight. I was so white knuckled and just nervous that it, you know, wore me out. But we went home and I think we raced on Monday. We're supposed to race on Friday and race on Monday, something Mm -hmm. like that. And then we ran the rest of the 250 laps and I was completely fine. And we finished, uh, I believe, 17th, which was- Yeah, he got a top 20. Yep, 17th on the lead lap, which was a great day. And still, you know, by today's standards, you know, I have almost 30 races under my belt in a truck and that'd be a good finish for me today. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was also memorable because um, I read it somewhere. I don't remember, but did you hit a crew member in that race? Yes. So my first ever live pit stop, I hit a crew member and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. So I hit him and I came to a complete stop and I was into their box at that point. And so I just kind of sat there like just bright eyed, like, uh, what just happened? <laughs> they, back, they changed the tires. I'm still sitting there looking back and forth. They're like, go, <laughs> you have to go. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. So we get done with the race and I don't see him. I don't talk to him. And actually, no, I did see him that day. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then, Two years later, I meet him again, and he's like, do you, do you recognize me? And I was like, no, sorry, I, I don't. He's like, oh, that's funny. You broke three of my ribs. I was like, I did? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm the crew member you hit at Martinsville. I was like, oh. Damn. Man, really bad. Well, now he owns, his name is Pat Cole. He owns Elevated, which is a pit crew, you know, training facility. Yeah, yeah. And we use Elevated now. So I think it was about two months ago, I went in there for pit practice. And so we're sitting in the box and he's standing in front of the truck. And I think I have it in reverse, but it's really in first. So when I let the clutch out, I kind of roll forward a little bit and tap him with the splitter. (laughs) (laughs) So I've hit him twice now. Oh my God. That's so funny. It comes full circle and then you do it again. Yep. Wow. I love how he yep. was like, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And he just low key yep. had three broken ribs. Like what? Yep. What? That's Those guys nuts. are tough. I know. I've seen that clearly get thrown three feet in the air and get right back oh, up yeah. and keep going. Nuts. These guys put their lives on the line figuratively and literally. Oh, yeah. it's, it's nuts. Well, They're- that was a hell of a memorable race for you. Martinsville, 2018 snow, hitting a pit crew member, white knuckle in the wheel. I mean, it doesn't get much yep. more rookie moment than that. But you got your sea legs under you, and you made one start the following year in 2019. And, you know, you look at something and say, okay, he made his debut in 2018, but then only one start the next year. So what was the deal for that year specifically? Were you trying to scratch something up, or were you more focused on the JD Motorsports stuff? What was the deal? So it was it was tough you know, when we first got started to try and gain traction and, um, you know, it was really tough when we were, you know, bouncing between teams because we were bouncing around with people and some people were promising some things that didn't work out. So we Mm -hmm. were kind of, you know, all in on this deal with our budget because we didn't have a very large budget at the time. Right. And that's just basically how it worked out. And we were just doing the best we could. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you, last season, so we're, we're 2018, 2019, now we're 2020, you ran 13 of the 23 races in the truck series with long motorsports before you guys as a family bought those assets and took the team over as your own. Um, was that a situation essentially where you're running with this team, you guys know you have the bandwidth and the operation to make it your own, and that would be the ideal scenario? and you saw a way to do it financially and you said, Hey, why don't we might as well do it our way? And you did. So I wouldn't exactly say it went that way. Um, we were running with long motorsports with Boyd long and he kind of got to a point where he was going to be, you know, done at that point. So we were kind of so like was trying to get out then. Yeah. He was, he was in a bad position and we were kind of sitting there going, well, you know, every time, this has happened a couple times now because we had been through, I think three or four teams at that time in the truck series alone, where it was kind of like me and my dad had a conversation where, you know, I was coming in and I was doing, you know, I felt like I was bringing organizations up and, you know, improving them. And then once it, once that happened, I kind of got, you know, shuffled out to the side and 
the ride was sold, which wasn't exactly the case with the 55 truck, but, you know, it was going away again. And so we kind of collectively said, you know, let's just, let's try and take this over and see where it goes. And I feel like it was a very good decision on our behalf because it's seems to be going well, it's growing, it's expanding and we just keep learning and improving. Yeah. I mean, I assume you probably wouldn't change anything because now you got your name on it. That's fun. And also yep. you guys are able to do everything your way, you know, it, little things here and there, I'm sure when it comes to scheduling or logistics with the hauler, or these setups here and there, shock mounts, whatever, like it's little things that add up like that, which I'm sure, you know, being now a family run team, you guys can have everything at your disposal and do everything your way, which has got to alleviate a little bit of stress. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of security in being an owner. You always know, you know, what's going to happen. You always know the harsh reality of everything. You know what's, you know, if I'm not going to be able to afford to go to a race, maybe I can, I make that decision myself to, you know, yeah. sit it out or put somebody else in the seat. So yeah. it's, there's a lot of security in it. And if, you know, being a driver doesn't work out, I still have a team to fall back onto, you know. It, there's been countless drivers that are now team owners and you know their their security in it yeah definitely well you mentioned your dad a couple times uh kevin he is your dad and he's been your crew chief for a handful of starts and i was doing research and it occurred to me i was like wow davy you're a dumbass uh yep. clinton cram he's also your uncle right yep yeah yep. so there, there's a lot of crams in racing there there is because i covered the k&m pro series east and west but started out with the west i guess probably three four five years ago now and mm -hmm. clinton cram was a fixture out there and I, i've seen your name obviously around you've been racing for a handful of years now in the national series and it never clicked for me and then when i saw it on wikipedia i'm like oh clinton cram dawson duh it makes yep. sense so you have your dad, who's an influential figure in racing. Your uncle has been around forever as well. I'm sure there's a lot of other family members that have dipped their toe in here or there in racing. It's always been a, a cram family thing to be in racing. And your dad specifically, and I'm sure your uncle as well, those two probably had a lot of influence on you growing yep. up, getting started in those mini dwarfs and working your way up through the ranks. Yep. So there's four of them. There's Brian, Buddy, Kevin, and Clint. So Clint okay. has been around in the cup series, you know, forever. Yeah. My dad was a crew chief. He started out in the truck series, went to straight to cup. He worked with, you know, Ernie Elliott and Bill Elliott on the 94 car. He actually ran the team in, I don't know, 99, 2000, 2001. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And then, so initially he was with Bodine, I believe. Mm -hmm. Then he went to Earnhardt's with, um, Ron Hornaday. Oh, okay. Hornaday on the Napa 16. Truck. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So he's the crew chief there. Then he went to Bill Elliott. And then he went to Ganassi with Sterling Marling initially and then moved over to Jason Leffler's car. And then he did some KN stuff with Johnny Borneman too. And then, you know, one off races with like Ronnie Three, Hornaday's son. And then Brian was. Dale Jr.'s interior guy his entire career. So wow. he went, yeah, he went all the way to Hendricks with him on the 88 car. Clint has, you know, bounced around everywhere. <laughs> so he's, uh, right now, Clint is at Sam Hunt Racing on the 26 car. Yeah. And yep. then Buddy was with um, Evernham mainly. I feel like we need to get the band back together and just get all the crams in a room, tell some stories, bench race, and then. Who knows? Maybe they could run a race team because it's clear. Let's see. Yep. We got the crew chief. Okay. Yep. We got a driver. We got an interior yep. guy. I don't think we need much else. I mean, no. that's all we need. As long as the car goes and we make sure the driver's comfortable, we got ourselves a race team. Dawson, what do you say? <laughs> yeah. So they, they help out a lot. You know, Brian is over there a lot. Clinton, you know, is right next door to me so I can go over there and bounce ideas off of him and buddy will come over and do some, you know, front work if needed, if we get a little bit behind. So, you know, I have a great family and a great, you know, network of people around me that help me when I need help. Yeah. Yeah. That's great to have. All right. A couple of fun things to touch on before we let you go. I thank you for your time. It's been awesome to get to know you yeah. a little bit better. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, I saw your birthday 
is actually kind of notable. September 12th of 2001, which is one day after 9-11. Obviously, you don't remember a lot from them because you were a day old. Um, But I'm sure you probably have heard stories about, you know, what life was like back then when you were first born and your parents are trying to navigate having a newborn and also just this tumultuous time in the country. I just when I when I saw that birthday, I was like, oh, wow, that seems pretty interesting. Yeah. So that as I've been told, you know, I don't remember anything, but um, very, very, very tough time with the country and, you know, a time of everybody coming together. And, you know, I was born. So my mom actually told me she was terrified to go to the hospital during this time because everybody thought the world was under attack. Oh yeah. The country. Because so she, she probably was, was like going into labor on yep. 9-11. Yep. So she was wow. going into labor on 9-11. So she was terrified. She didn't know what to do. If she should go oh, to the labor. hospital or not, which she, they ended up going to the hospital, but you know, I think that took a while to decide on what to do. Yeah. But, um, I have two older sisters, so they, you know, they're experienced in the newborn stuff, but definitely, definitely probably scary with my dad traveling all the time and yeah. my mom being alone with kids during that yeah. time. I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah. must've been crazy. Uh, also just the fact that you were born after the year 2000 makes me hate you a little bit, but, uh, we'll get over that. I think we can, so, we can work something out. <laughs> so I saw a video the other day that was like, kid tell me how old they are. They're seven. And I was like, Oh, what year are you born? 2014. Like that just, that's messed up. Yeah, that that blows my mind. That is disgusting. Actually, <laughs> wow. I I've had a couple other drivers that have been born after the year two thousand, and I tell each one of them. I think it's been you, Taylor Gray, uh, Tony Bridinger, maybe. I think I've told mm-hmm. each of them. I'm like, this is terrible, and now I feel like my dad when I'm like, oh wow, you young whippersnappers. <laughs> it's it's awful, but yeah. you're very mature for your age, so I'll give you that. So Thank you're doing you. well for yourself. Um, Dawson, you have a nickname but I I need to understand why DK is your nickname when your initials are DC, please. So my full initials are DKC. There we go. Okay. (laughs) So Dawson, Kevin Cram. So Dawson and Kevin just, we call it DK. Got it. Okay. Glad we got that under control. I I, I thought you loved Donkey Kong and Mario Kart for a second. I was like, that would be cool. It came from a modified racer in Barona when I was little, he started calling me DK. Cool. Interesting. Since, you know, I was probably five. Yeah. Yeah. Too young to remember. So we talked about, you know, working at JD, you have Landon Castle, BJ McLeod as insanely talented, well-versed drivers to lean on for advice. And I'm sure in the truck series, whether it's driver intros or we don't really have those anymore, but Mm -hmm. uh, just in the garage, you know, there's a lot of veteran drivers that have a big presence in the garage there besides Landon and BJ, who are some other drivers that you tend to lean on for advice, whether it's, you know, what to do at this specific track. I've never been here before, or how do you think I should navigate X, Y, or Z? Is there any other driver in NASCAR that you kind of lean on and go to for advice? So it's, it's tough to see who you can, you know, talk to and what you can get, you know, truthfully out of them. But Noah Gragson, you know, he's moved on to the X-Men series and me and him ran legend cars together. So he, you know, he was accomplished in the truck series and a very similar platform to what they are today. So me and him, you know, I'll catch him at a racetrack or somewhere out. He lives in Mooresville. So Mm -hmm. we'll bounce some stuff off of each other, maybe talk on the phone and, you know, he's helped me a ton. He's given me information that I think not a lot of drivers in the truck series know just because he was in that top level ride. Yeah. And he had Teach Kyle Busch to lean on. So Yeah, exactly. Passing it down from the from the master himself. He probably teaches you how to rip the fence at some of these places. Yep. So uh Noah's actually really good at that, but you know, yes. I've seen Kyle do it too in mm-hmm. person, you know, two feet away from me on the racetrack. So yeah. You know, you'd be surprised what you can pick up, you know, running around with some of those guys. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, another funny question. Maybe it's not funny. I don't know. The first thing that I noticed when you hopped on the Zoom call was your hair. You got an insane yeah. flow, my guy. Can we get a little side profile? Do you have a mullet going or anything? Uh, it's a little not a bit. mullet. It's just, it's just wavy. It's just nice, wavy. So that's, nice. the, that's the California in me is the wavy <laughs> hair for hair. Yeah. I, I was thinking that like earlier because 
your voice has a little bit of the Cali bro to it, but not a ton because I think you're now officially a North Carolina transplant, but I see that. I see that. Unfortunately, I can't. So there's a lot of country people here and it's still a culture shock to me because, you know, even being in NASCAR, you know, a lot of people call it a Southern sport, but you know, the people that I'm around, you know, I have a lot of friends that race sports cars that, you know, talking, they're from Germany and stuff. So all the different accents, you know, I mainly get tripped out about the country accents and <laughs> their ways of li- living is just, it's cool. It's yeah. different. It is different for sure. I mean, you mentioned Sheldon Creed, what you guys raced at the same track growing up. Do you have a relationship with him at all? No, not really. Okay. Oh, well, maybe, maybe one day, who knows? Maybe one um, day. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about yourself away from the racetrack. I mean, wh- what do you like to do? What do you like to watch? Do you like other sports? We lo- we know you like Bojangles, Chicken Supremes <laughs> with mac and cheese and sweet tea. What other foods do you like? Tell the people about yourself away from the racetrack. So I, I try to eat really healthy, you know, a lot of pasta, a lot of meat, and um, a lot of water, a lot of uh, child's Pedialyte, actually, what mm. they give the babies. I drink a ton of that. Very good nice. for you. Nice. But um. I'm mainly just a car person, you know, if I'm not working on my own stuff, you know, I'm working on street cars because my family has a hot rod business. They built, they built a lot of Mopars, you know, that's Mm. mainly Buddy, Brian, and my dad. My dad did that for a really long time when I was racing, you know, legend cars and late models. So love hot rods, but um, if I'm not racing myself, I'm usually going to a racetrack somewhere and watching, you know, road course guys, you know. Yeah those are a different breed than us. And I love watching them and yeah. a lot of dirt racing because I come a little bit from that. So, I mean, fully well-rounded racing guy. Not another sports fan. Like you don't watch any other stick and ball stuff. So I really can't get behind it. You know, it just, I've been involved in racing so long, you know, I've kind of just, that's my thing. And I don't I really it. understand other sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about football and baseball enough to, you know, get a, Super Bowl party and not yeah. sound like a complete idiot. Yeah. But not a diehard fan. I know that Clint Boyers, you know, a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah. No, nothing like that. If you had Which to I, pick though, would you go California teams or would you go North Carolina teams? Yeah, so when everybody always asked me it was the Chargers, but I think that they suck. From what I know, <laughs> I think that they're not very good. Eh, I mean, they're okay. They got a nice young quarterback, and their their uniforms are always nice. Yep. So they had, um, was it Philip Rivers? There yeah. Forever the seventeen, yeah. and he just retired, or he went somewhere mm-hmm. else. He retired. Yep. He retired. He, he went somewhere else after they left San Diego to go to L.A. Then he went yep. to Indianapolis, and now he's retired. You know, he has like, I think he has like 10, 12 kids, something like that. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. People wow. were joking that uh, he finally made enough money to retire to like pay for his kids to go through school. Uh-huh. He's got so many of them. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. Well, so like other foods that you like besides Bojangles, you eat healthy. Um, yep. Like any good spots in North Carolina that you usually hit up? So there's a little place. Oh, well, it's not that little, but it's called Barcelona Burger in downtown Mooresville. That okay. place is the greatest burger I've ever had in my entire life. Mm. I don't know why it's called Barcelona. It, I was going to say, does that have like Spanish influence or something? It, The burgers don't taste like they do, but the whole place is, you know, decorated like that. Pretty you know, cool. they got little Vespas in there on display. Oh, it's really nice. cool. It's a really, really cool place. And then um, there's some little mom and pop places like uh, McCann's. It's right next to the race park. So I'll go there for lunch sometimes and they got mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's the healthiest of foods, but it's pretty good food. Well, you're you're looking pretty good, pretty lean, a lean, fast machine, <laughs> so don't change nothing. Last thing, just tell us where you think that you want to be, let's say five years from now in 2026. Where do you want to be positioned in terms of behind the driver's seat, and do you want to get more into the ownership aspect of Dom or of Cram Racing Enterprises? Is that something that you're passionate enough about to possibly pursue more? So it's, it's really hard to say that I want to be here because, you know, I think five years ago, if I asked myself where I wanted to be, I never would have guessed I'd be in the position that I'm in. So, you know, the future possibilities are endless. I mean, anything can happen. I could be, you know, BJ McLeod owns a cup car now. 
you know, I could own a cup car someday. It's very hard to tell where I could be, but I, I love to still be involved in the sport wherever that is, whatever series it's in. I love NASCAR and I hope to continue my ownership potential and um, complete, uh, get all the way up to cup as a driver and maybe, you know, be a cup champion someday. I don't know if that's, you know, realistic within a five year span, but yeah, hopefully just continue on in the sport and see where it goes. So it sounds like you're, you're in the mindset of, you know, I, I like where I'm at. If I'm a truck series lifer, I'm cool with that. Cup would be cool. That'd be yeah. awesome. I would not say no, but if it's not in the cards and I'm just going to be chilling in the truck series, I'm cool with that. Cause I'm enjoying myself. Is that kind of right? Yep. I'm completely enjoying myself right now. And I think I'm in the perfect position that I need to be in in my life right now. Cool. Well, Dawson, for somebody that's under 20 years old, born after the year 2000, uh, you're very mature. You got a lot going for you. you. You got a great head on your shoulders. For real, though, it was great to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about you and your story. I think the uh, I think the listeners will benefit from it as well. So we wish you nothing but success moving forward. Best of luck this weekend at Charlotte and for the rest of the year down the road. I know we'll be chatting soon. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you once again to Dawson and Kimberly Cram as well for helping coordinate that conversation on relatively short notice. This is a very, very busy week for me, uh, so I'm sorry if this episode's coming out a little bit late. I am moving into Washington, D.C. with my girlfriend this week, so things have been a little hectic. Got back from Asheville and Blacksburg, so was not really able to do anything this past weekend or Monday as we were celebrating her birthday, but we saw uh, Washington Capitals forward T.J. Oshie at a steakhouse for her birthday evening, so... That was fun. I digress. Uh, thank you, Dawson. Thank you, Kimberly. It was great to catch up with Dawson, and I know we'll be hearing more about him for years to come. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Smart guy. Let's talk about briefly the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway this upcoming weekend. Longest race of the year by a long shot, over 100 miles longer than any race on the Cup Series schedule. Four stages, 100 laps each. I don't really like that because it basically eliminates any strategy that you could have played by long pitting, short pitting, whatever. Teams are probably just going to cut each stage in half and just pit once in each stage. But there's more points up for grabs in this race than any other race this season, which technically makes this more important than the Daytona 500 or the championship race, I guess, if you want to look at it from that perspective. But think about it. You win stage one, two, and three and the race. That's how many playoff points eight the max usually is seven and you can garner stage points in every single stage as well all four of them so it's a big race for a lot of reasons obviously honoring the military that is memorial day weekend we thank everybody out there for their service if you're listening sincerely thank you for your service to this wonderful country and for listening to the show uh martin trucks jr he's put a whooping on him in this race before good chance that he can do so again Chase Elliott, his best finish in this race is second. Arguably should have won the race last year, but he did not. Kyle Larson, he has three second-place finishes in a row. Can he get a fourth in a row, or can he do one better? Alex Bowman's got two wins as well for Hendrick Motorsports. William Byron, I think he's going to be a sleeper pick to win this weekend, if you can even call him that. And obviously, the other Joe Gibbs racing cars along with Truex, Kyle Busch, Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin still winless they're going to be tough to beat and ones to watch this weekend as well. I want to watch Kevin Harvick and Tyler Reddick too. Reddick's probably going to be ripping the top even with the 550 package. And Kevin Harvick, even though Stuart Haas Racing is not where they want to be competition-wise, 600 miles, that means a lot of chances for mistakes by the driver and the pit crews. If Harvick does his job, which you can usually count on, and his pit crew does his job, which most of the time you can count on, He's going to be there with a top 10 run at the end of this thing. So if you want to sprinkle a little bit on a prop bet for Harvick, either in a matchup or a top 10, I think that would be a solid bet. Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Fox, the Coke 600 gets underway. And obviously, before that, at noon, the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500 on NBC. That's going to be a great race. I literally got goosebumps as I said that. It is the biggest race in the world. By far, bar none, I cannot wait for it. Scott Dixon's my pick because I'm boring, but a big day of racing on Memorial Day weekend, even without Monaco, I'm hyped for it. 
This is usually where I say, Plug Nuts of the Week! And then I cue that funky music, white boy, which I still did. Um, but full disclosure, as I said, this week has been insanely busy for me, and I wasn't able to actually write all the lug nuts of the week out on paper. But I'll tell you what to do. When you're listening to this, go to my Twitter page, at Davy Center, and I usually tweet out all the news and notes from NASCAR this past week in one screenshot, and it should be on my Twitter. So when you're listening to this, check my Twitter. Hopefully it'll be up for you then. And if it's not at the time when you're listening to this, then check back a couple hours later. I'll do my best to get that for you. So I'm not going to read you the lug nuts of the week. You can read them yourself on Twitter at Davy Center is my handle. That'll wrap things up for episode 109 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a big favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. It takes a couple seconds, but it really helps me out tremendously. And selfishly, it'll make my day. Give me an ego boost. As if I need one. <laughs> uh, but seriously, Apple, Spotify, um, Google Play, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcast, we should be available there for your consumption. Until next week, when we will have another guest from the world of NASCAR to talk about Charlotte and preview Sonoma. Stay safe, get outside, get vaccinated, and I'll catch y'all on the flip side.